Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to just conclude session 19. Um, This particular study is taking forever to wrap up, uh, simply because of the way in which the Lord has downloaded uh, truth and principles to us Every time we, every time we do it. Our context is as follows. Remember we said we are hearing God with our spirits. We're hearing God with our spirits. Whenever the word of the Lord come, it must be received and encoded on the platform of your, of your spirit. Not primarily your soul or in the flesh, your body. When the word of the Lord is received in spirit, it is light. And the scripture says in Proverbs... Um, That word lightens up my spirit, and from that vantage point, it searches out the innermost parts of the heart of men. In other words, your spirit, Proverbs says, is the lamp of the Lord, right? The light of God is your spirit. The word is light, right? Coming from one who is light, your spiritual father. David was regarded as the lamp of Israel. And what does he do? The entrance of the word he provides to you. Entrance of the word gives light and understanding. So when you sit under the sound of the voice of your spiritual father, he who is a representation of light, the lamp of Israel, discloses light to you in the word. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children for forever. Who likes secrets? Someone tells you I have a secret. You'll be inquisitive to know, not so. Anyone, has anyone said to you, I have a secret, and you say, no problem, and you walk away. The, the moment the person tells you, I have a secret, just the word itself, secret, inspires an inquiry, not so. It pushes one to decode what is hidden. The secret is veiled. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. But the things which have been revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The Word of God is coded. It needs needs to be demystified or decoded. The lamp, the light, a spiritual father will come and provide entrance into the Word. Psalm 119 says, the entrance of your Word brings light and understanding. That understanding illuminates one's spirit. When your spirit is full of light and enlightenment, Ephesians says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, not I, but plural eyes, so you, it's, a, it's a continuous process um, through time by which your many eyes of your spirit see more clearly, progressively through time as you are exposed to the word of the Lord. And the Bible says when your spirit is lightened up, it casts light upon the darkened areas of your soul. Because you are body, you are spirit, soul, and body, Right? Your soul must then healingly and obediently, willingly subscribe to the knowledge and truth or revelation that you have received in your spirit. It must blindly follow the dictates of the spirit. For that 
process to happen effortlessly, uh, smoothly, you have to then deal with a serious problem in your flesh. Because what the flesh does, you've got spirit, soul, and body. What your flesh is consistently doing, if it is not arrested, it lends itself to carnality. And the Bible is very clear. I won't have time to go through all the scriptures in Galatians. The Bible is very clear that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in my spirit, is doing what? Warring, fighting against what? Fighting against the flesh. The flesh against the Spirit. So that I do not do the things I want to. Right? And so there's this battle for supremacy, for rulership, and for domination between flesh and And spirit, what are they fighting for is the domain of the soul, right? Peter says it like this, fleshly lusts war against the soul. If you give in to fleshly carnality on a perpetual, persistent basis, what it does is it pulverizes wars against the soul. I think of it in boxing terms, literally beats the soul to a pulp. So that even when the spirit is hearing, you're hearing, you're coming to the Bible studies, coming to the meetings, you're hearing word, lightens up your spirit, but your soul is disempowered to say, yes, I follow. Simply because of the manner in which the soul has become colored by the, not colored, not white, black, colored, not that, okay? Many Indians here, so, and some whites. I'm not saying colored. You know what I'm talking about. Diluted, contaminated. The soul becomes contaminated by the, by the way in which the flesh in the, in the body has healed itself to sin. Okay? So, remember we, we spoke about Lot? Lot was positioned towards Sodom. The Bible says the righteous soul of Lot was vexed by what he heard and what he saw. He, he, he was not a, hom- a homosexual. I don't think Lot was a homosexual. I don't think his kids got involved in lesbianism, homosexuality, or other perverse kinds of sexual sins that Sodom became known for. But just living in the city and just seeing it and hearing it consistently impacted his soul. Right? Impacted his soul. And please remember this. Even when God wants to use him as a mouthpiece to warn others in the city that the city will be destroyed. You know what the scripture says? When Lot said to his sons-in-law, sons-in-law were killed in the demise of Sodom. When Lot said to his sons-in-law, get out of here, judgment is falling. The Bible says it seemed as though to his sons-in-law that he was just joking. What happens to the weight of words in one that positions himself toward carnality? In the moment of your crisis, when you're going to have to stand and sound the alarm, what you say will mean nothing to people. And you might be, uh, you know, in this season, you cannot postulate. You cannot posture. You can't pretend. You can't act. You either have weight, stature, Substantial presence or you don't. I'm saying to us in the season, deal rootlessly 
with your fleshly weakness. Because that is going to war against your soul. It will bring vexation. The word vex in reference to Lot literally means it tormented him. It brought torment to the, to the soul. What does First Peter 1.22, my favorite verse in the series, I quote it often. It says that my soul is purified through what? Obedience. So the soul is purified through obedience unto or with the view of loving the brethren from a, with a fervent heart and with absolute sincerity. Not so? Everyone say obedience. So how is my soul cleansed? Everyone say obedient. Simple. Walking in the spirit, uh, one of the keys we discussed to overcoming the flesh, is simply living a lifestyle of obedience. On the Wednesday evening, when we all stood up and Quibus von Rensburg laid his hands upon us and imparted the gift of faith, he said this to us, and this I took as a confirmation. Renato was standing in the queue. And uh, he, he prophesies in rhythmic fashions, as you've heard, almost like a poet. You heard? It's, it's, it's highly um, poetic. And he said in his poetic style, The Lord has seen the purity of your heart, and now from tonight, a brand new thing will start. Hmm? Uh, when I got back, I shared with a few others who were sitting there that I took that as a confirmation of the kinds of teachings we are stressing. Remember t- last week I said, when you walk in here, you must taste purity. You must taste a pure atmosphere. There must be no flesh. There must be nothing of the flesh, right? I want to enculturize. I want to develop the culture of purity, okay? Blessed, the, one, of the, one of the Beatitudes say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, for they shall, See God, okay? Your prophetic sight and your perception is going to be determined by the the degree to which your heart is unblurred, uncontaminated. Some of us have too many gray areas in our hearts, and we're trying to perceive in the spirit through a heart that has been colored, diluted, contaminated. The more you keep your heart pure, the greater your prophetic sight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will... They will see their penetrative prophetic capacity will be accentuated, heightened, developed. So I really want to encourage you. Um, I would say stop all that you are doing and simply give attention to overcoming with, 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 with great focus any kind of proneness that you have in your flesh because it's going to militate against everything we are striving for, Right? Do you remember when Joshua defeated Jericho and Achan hid the accursed thing in his tent? And they attacked thereafter a smaller city compared to Jericho. They attacked the city of Ai, capital A, small I, A-I or I, the city of Ai. And Joshua even said, the men said to Joshua, don't let the whole army go. This is a walking from, compared to Jericho, this is a picnic. We could do this thing with our eyes closed. So a few hundred thousand men went. And the men of Ai slaughtered him. Joshua is on his face before the Lord, inquiring of the Lord, why? From from the height, listen carefully, that's why. And this is a warning to us. Let me ask you this question. Was Jericho a significant victory? 
Who would love to have been there to see walls fall in inward, not outward, fell inward? Would love to have seen that, right? I would love to have seen walls fortified, the Bible says, tightly shut in. No one could go out, no one could come in, right? I think three or four chariots could race side by side on these walls. These are uh, 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 walls of great with great strength. With one shout and act of obedience, God causes the wall to come down. And the men of Israel go in and great significant victory. I think they must have talked about that for days. Sure, emails, Facebook. If they had Facebook, there would have been Jericho. Walls came tumbling down. Hmm? And then God says, okay, advance now to the next. And you see the city of Ai, and, you, and by comparison with the formidable threats that Jericho represented, Ai was, right? We do this with our eyes closed. But the men are defeated. So Joshua is on his face before the Lord inquiring. He's totally wrecked with concern, depressed. And he's on his face inquiring before the Lord saying, Why? What's wrong? How can you give us significant victory over a great enemy, a lesser enemy defeats us? God says Israel has sinned. No? Not Achan. Israel. One man sinned in the camp. God's view is, Everybody is guilty here. Israel has sinned. You know, when I read that, I'm always amazed. If I were God, I would say um, to Joshua, there's a guy by the name of Achan. Sort him out and things will go well. You know, he said Israel has sinned. The sin of one man was attributed to the whole community. And it brought victory. It brought defeat where victory should have been secured easily. The Bible says, and you know, I like the way God says to him. While he's on his face before God says, speaks to him, God says, up. Everyone say, up. Up. In other words, get up. This is not the time to pray. He says, get up and cleanse the house. Purge Israel of the sin. There are certain times in which certain spiritual activity is illegitimate. Yes, Joshua praying about the issue. God says, no, you get to go confront and in, uh, root out the cause of defeat. Hey, you know how he did it. He put all the God didn't tell him. God could have told him, eh? Achan in that tribe, go to that clan, go to that family, go to a specific head of a household. You'll find a man called Achan and his sons. God leaves it up to Joshua. You do it. Joshua by discernment calls all the tribes, and God by the Spirit shows him, shows him, show him. Achan and his children are killed. The sad thing about Achan is this man makes a foolish carnal decision he keeps things he steals things from jericho that should not have been right the result is not only on him it's on on his wife his children and his livestock god said killed i don't want nothing of achan's spirit residue of it left in the camp killed a lot of them right you think god is ruthless no i don't think so the, the heart of God is, listen carefully, and this seems always to be at the incipient stages of some major breakthrough. Jericho was the first taken, the first city to be taken. Is always, listen carefully to the warning, prophetically, there's always the propensity to, at the moments of breakthrough and the incipient stages of movement into a new era in that critical season, for people to lax and to lose focus 
to let go of certain principles with serious, disastrous results. Amen? And so the point of the breakthrough became the start of the breakdown. You entered major victory and suddenly you start to go, to go down. Remember the, the mixed multitude? The mixed multitude we spoke about? Huh? The mixed multitude or the... the what else are called these? The rabble, the mixed multitude or the rabble. The Bible says when Israel left Egypt, they were delivered from Egyptian bondage. It says there was a heterogeneous group of people, a mixed heterogeneous, mixed, not homogeneous. There were a, 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 a mixed cultural group made up of different ethnic cultural backgrounds. The Bible says, think about this, as Israel's journeying out to the wilderness, the Bible says, there's a little verse that says, and the mixed multitude or the rabble went with them. Non-Israelites, non-Jews. And the Bible says, this rabble incited Israel in the wilderness with carnal desires, with greedy desires. And we, we explain this painstakingly. Psalm 106 says, when Israel had greedy desires, they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness because of the wrong influence of a heterogeneous rabble group. The Bible says he gave them the desires. But what happened to the soul? He says, but he sent leanness to the soul. Shrivel up, disempowered soul, unable to respond obediently to the will of the Lord. Amen? Is this serious or is this not? I'm, I'm walking so cautiously these days. Very cautiously. Extremely cautiously. I marvel at the heightened spiritual awareness I have recently. It's nothing I've earned or worked for. I believe it's a deposit of God. I believe also open heaven has compacted, consolidated it to a significant degree. Amen? I have an awareness in the spirit that I've never had before. And, but I also realize, Randolph, you are on a new journey. Don't at the incipient stages of this new phase let go of certain biblical principles, right? Because you might defeat your Jericho, but your AI could defeat you in the next phase of the journey. So be sober. Tell your neighbor, be sober, right? Be sober. So um, extract the rabble from your company, right? Don't take the mixed multitude with you. Watch your company. And we, we've spoken at length about that. Now, let's get back to your notes. So what we've been dealing with, that's the context. What we've been dealing with is, Let's then um, ensure that we overcome our carnality, seeing that that is such a formidable threat to the entire process of obedience. Deal with that issue so that you, become, you have victory over the flesh so that when the Lord speaks via your spirit, your soul willingly cedes, agrees. Yes, there's no rebellion from the, from the platform of the soul to everything that the Lord desires. I'm so tempted to get into the next study after this. I've just prepared it past two days in terms of where we're going to this body, soul, spirit thing. Tell you that, but that's a forthcoming attraction. I've got to deal with this first because all of that will literally mean very little if, you see, I could very easily jump there now, but I'm going almost at a snail's pace, painstakingly, repeating stuff. I want to ensure every single person enters this reality. Amen? We must all enter it too. Together as a, as a group. None must, be, none must be left behind. Now go to page. Okay, we, we, we've discussed.
various um, keys to overcoming carnality on page five about your, desire, your, behavior, your company, for example, the mixed multitude of the rebel. On page six, we discussed how grace can cause you to overcome carnality. In, on page seven, walking in the spirit, right, which is basically obedience. On page nine, I love, I can't wait to get into the love theme. Um, we visited some family yesterday. And um, uh, this issue came up. We spoke at length about the issue of the predomination of love in the last day. Amen. And we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll do it fairly soon. Just pursuing love. Everyone say pursue love. So I want to encourage you develop your love life. Right? Don't take this the wrong way now. <laughs> love life in the spirit. Develop your love disposition for all men everywhere. On page 10, I spoke to you about giving no topos, no place for the, no place for the devil. On page 12, we spoke about abstaining or keeping away from all appearance of, of evil. And then on page 13, about cleansing yourself as a vessel of honor and pursuing, pursuing righteousness. And then we ended off last week on page 15, where I encouraged you. Hate lawlessness or iniquity and love righteousness, right? Tell the person next to you, I hate lies. Tell them I hate theft. Tell them I hate anger. I hate adultery. I hate fornication. I hate pornography. Say, I hate Iniquity. I tell this, I love righteousness. I love truth. I love goodness. I love kindness. You must get to the place where you say, me, I hate that which is wrong. And I love the right thing. Because it's prophesied about Jesus here in Hebrews chapter 1. And it's prophetic also of us. It says in verse 9, you have loved righteousness. And Lord, you hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy, of gladness. Everyone say, above your companions. Tell your neighbor, I'm the most joyful person I know. And my face tells you so. Oil, everyone say oil. Anointing oil is always for service. When someone anoints you, it's for effective function, right? And there's this joy or delight that comes upon you as you execute God's will. So the verses in your notes say, Jesus said in Psalm 40, I delight to do thy will, O God. Okay? And I really want to encourage you. Some of us need the restoration of the joy of the Lord in our lives. It is impossible to love iniquity and to have spiritual joy. Impossible. To live a life of sin and still claim to have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Not so? Right? So I want to encourage you. Don't you feel strong when you are holy? You are holy, positionally. I'm talking about practical righteousness. Don't you feel strong when you've done the right thing? As opposed to could have done the wrong thing? Did not take the bribe, maintained your integrity. Doesn't it, isn't it empowering 
Let me just say this. I believe hating sin is your empowerment for, for service. I hate lawlessness. I love righteousness. He anoints you with the oil of joy and gladness. And not just empowers me for function. It says above my brothers. Above my companions. You can have a level above the ordinary. Amen. And I pray this for my own life regularly. Okay, enough. That will all recap. Let's go to today's study. Okay. The bottom of page 15. Hallelujah. You're still here? Tell your neighbor, I love God. Love His Word. Amen. Here's another key to helping us overcome the flesh. These are not really different keys. If you really analyze them, they're all saying the same thing in different ways. Not so. All saying the same thing using different phrasings. Lay aside weights and the sin that easily trips you up. Hebrews 12 verses 1 says the following. Wherefore, what is Hebrews 11? What's the content of Hebrews 11? We often regard it as the faith chapter. The the writer of the book of Hebrews recounts various persons who did mighty exploits by faith. And it says, they without us will not be made perfect. Right? That's another teaching altogether. So, I mean, great persons like David, Samson, Gideon, Abraham, etc., all listed there. And so, against that backdrop, the writer of the book of Hebrews says the following. In that light, with that backdrop, wherefore... Seeing we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Those, the witnesses here is a reference to the spirits of all these people. Right? The spirits, they're all dead. They're all spirits now. They've got no bodies. They're all spirits. And they form what we know as the cloud of witnesses. Think, of it, think about it like this. Your name is, sorry? Simone, think about it like this. David's dead now. David from the Old Testament. So is Gideon, so is Samson, all the great men. They are all now, their spirits are biblically, symbolically described as being kept almost in a cloud of witnesses. You won't say they're witness. Part of their task is they're goading us on. They're applauding us. They're saying, you guys, get your act together. Think about it like they are the, the these, all these, these guys they are like the crowd on the stands of an Olympic stadium. And we are runners on the field. And they are jeering us on. They're saying, you can't afford to fail now. We've gone through, and they are shouting at us, we, without you, will never be perfected. And they are they're cajoling us, goading us, encouraging us. Don't give up now. Go on, go on, go on. Whenever I think of this verse, I think of that image whenever I read it. That is exactly the image in the Greek. We are surrounded by an audience of men who have walked this, a legacy of faith that they've left. And they're saying, you have to make it. You have to go on. You can't fail. We are hanging in abeyance here, waiting for you to wrap up the will of God for your life so that we can be joined together. Wherefore, everyone say wherefore, seeing that we are surrounded, compassed, James says, surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, I will encourage you to study the book of Hebrews. I did this 
I did this. Liam, I, I recall, was six months old when I did this study. We were still living at the flat in the AOG church at the back. We just sold the house and temporarily stayed in the flat. I remember waking up early throughout the winter months. God impressed upon my heart to study the book of Hebrews. I bought a long hardcover book, and I, w- I would do a chapter a week, one chapter a week. So I took, I think, about 15 or 16 weeks, book of Hebrews, got that amount of chapters, more or less. And I just waited upon God. And I was intrigued by the statement, let us. Because it occurs right through the book. The writer of the book of Hebrews simply loves this word, let us do something. He states something and he says, let us. Now tell your neighbor, let us. So if you are running on this field, running this race, surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, he says, let us, let us do what? Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run. That's why I said the image of, a, of an Olympic stadium. Let us run the race with, with patience that is mapped out or set out for us. Now turn over the page. Um, the NASB says, let us lay aside. Just the, the highlighted portions. Everyone say lay aside. Let us lay aside uh, the encumbrance and the sin. Everyone say two things. Now, we'll talk about two things because it talks about an encumbrance that is not sin, but it talks about an sin or the sin, specific sin, that thing that always easily trips you. Um, who loves athletics? Running on the track, etc. Right? Who was an athlete here in your time? Come on. I know things you used to do, you do them no more, but <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, I still love athletics, and 100, 200, 400 meters races was my speciality, up to second year varsity. Excuse me. And it seems, I mean, have, have you ever seen in the 100-meter dash, the finals at the Olympics, who's, who's the reigning champion for his name again? Bolt. It was a Bolt. I don't like his name, Hussein Bolt. Right? Um, you come with a hard hat on, big boots, overall, have a sack. Right? And, and he um, attempting maybe packets from checkers. Thanks. And he says, okay, let me position myself on the starting blocks. What does he do to make himself as light as possible? Tell your neighbor, simple, lay aside every weight. once went to the gym after a long layoff and the only scripture that came to mind was this lay aside every weight <laughs> I was trying to encourage myself Lord give me a scripture here lay aside oh this is the wrong scripture right now what do they do to, to make themselves as light as possible so that nothing would impede their speed I'm going to literally cut through the air like a they want to cut through any kind of resistance. They wear skin-tight clothing, right? Um, the, 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 the shoes of the modern Olympic athletes, they say, are so light. I'm talking about what they wear, so light and highly expensive too at that. So no, even some of them, their hairstyles, <laughs> shave their heads, nothing must, because in that 
at that level of competition, milliseconds count. You know, it can be a difference between a win or a lose. So think about it like an athlete. You lay aside every weight. Just quickly, look at the amplified. Strip off just the highlighted portions there. Strip off and throw away every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin. Everyone say, that sin. Look at the NASB, it says, the sin. Look at the CEV, it says, get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin. The ISV says, throwing off everything that hinders, especially the sin. The word lay aside is apotitomai, which means to cast off or to put off. Now, you should just write there, it's a violent activity. It's not casual. It is rootless. It is, you, to cast means to throw away violently. If you cast off anything that hinders, right? Now, let me just say this to us. It's the encumbrance, King James says, the weight and the sin that, this is the key word, easily. It entangles you easily. It's not hard for this weight or sin to trip you. It's... by the way, you must read some of the commentaries on this verse. The image is of an athlete running a race and someone or something on him trips him and he falls. And his ability to win the race is compromised, obviously. So listen carefully. It says, run the race that is set out be before you. But the key word is easily entangles, which is in the Greek means easily surrounding or encompassing and easily be besetting. Now, you know, all of us know, listen carefully, we all know the thing that easily trips us up. Tell your neighbor, you know that sin. It might not be the sin, it might be that encumbrance. Think about the word encumbrance. Look at it in your notes. The word encumbrance or weight in the Greek literally means ogkos. It means whatever is prominent, protuberance. Bulk, mass, a burden. This heaviness you carry. An impediment, a mass as bending or bulging by its load. A burden which is a, a hindrance. Key words here are prominent, protuberance, bulk, mass, impediment, a mass. Now, you, you, I can come to you and say, Terence, I don't think you should do that or engage in that activity. Terence might turn around and say, but Father, it's not a sin. Can't show me anywhere in the Bible that's a sin. It might not be a sin, but it can definitely be a weight. There are two categories of activities here. It says the weight and the sin. The the, the serious thing for me is both have the same effect. Both have the same ultimate result. It might not be wrong. Um. I might say to Claire, I think, Claire, stop that, the way in which you're managing your time. Stop the way in which you, you uh, or, or, or not stop, give revision to it. Stop that activity because I can see you can engage in that activity. It's not wrong. You're still a son of God. But the effect of that indulgence, while not sin, is going to have the effect of tripping you on your path to destiny. It's going to derail you if you carry on like that. 
Because many, many times, uh, Christians have often said, but what I'm doing is not wrong. Right? Not all things good are God. Not all things good are God. It might be good, but bad for you. Hmm? Not all things. It might be good, but it definitely might not be God. Now, here's an interesting passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians six twelve. All things are lawful. You heard this verse. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will be mastered by, I will not be mastered by anything. I love how the message says it. Listen to the Message Bible. 1 Corinthians six twelve. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. I mean, that says it plainly. Not because you can technically argue your way out of the, the rightness or the wrongness of it does it make it appropriate in the spirit. It might not be sin, but it's definitely a weight in your life. Do you know some weights are people? Some associations you need to, what the scripture says, cast it aside because it's going to trip you up as you run the race. Not so, right? So cast away the sin and the weight that not so easily trips you up. A very similar portion, 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things build up, edify. Not all things are for your benefit. Now, I know some of you are thinking of a verse, but Randolph, what does the Bible say? To the pure, all things are pure. Not so we know the scripture. Scripture must be balanced with other scriptures. Right? You can't say, I will, I, will, I will go to a nightclub because the Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. Right? Unwise. Why? Because the context, might, while you might not engage in overt sin while you're there, but the context it makes you prone to fall. Right? There's an impact that you might not be aware of because I've, I've discovered the impact of the soul is always subtle. It's not overt. It erodes through time. And only after erosion through time do you realize how much you've lost. I mean, it's the middle of 2013. Some of us haven't left the starting blocks. The gun has gone off. Some of us are near the finish. And there's been no progress and you might go from one month and say, there's no discernible retrogression in my life. I'm fine. But let a few months pass and you say, what on earth am I doing in this condition? How did I land up here? And I say this to you as a word of caution. Be careful of subtle drift. I call it subtle drift. So when a boat drifts off course, you only realize you're off your navigational path after a long period of time. While drifting, you might not be aware that you are drifting. The very word drift implies subtlety, a subtle marginal departure from the path of exactness. Marginal. could be 1% off. Pastor Lavoie taught us this error over a period of time becomes error magnified. If you, if you plot a particular path, let's say I must go, I will go from here and I'm going to walk for the next 100 days along a straight path. And let's see, I've got a destination that I will land up. 
if, let's say I face like this, and let's have just 1%, not even 45 degrees, just one degree off, it might seem, come on, but in time, after the 100 days, I'm far removed from where I should be. Everyone say marginal deflection. And I hear the Lord saying, be aware of marginal departure, marginal deflection. It's something small. You say it's not sin. You say it's innocent. You say my motives are pure. You cannot categorize it as sin. But it could be a marginal departure that could have serious consequences in time. Okay? So tell your neighbor, lay aside. Let's go to the last one. Okay? Tell your neighbor, I'm glad we're on the last point. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Let me say this. This section 19 has took forever to wrap up. I want to get on to other things. But I need you just to wrap this up. All right? One of the last sort of keys by which you can overcome your flesh is simply to put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Keyword here is provision from the book of Romans. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us... Lay aside, again, the same word, lay aside, the deeds of darkness, and let us put on what? Put on the armor of light. So light is actually a protective mechanism. The word is light. Light is your immunity, right? And then it says, okay, now, it says the night is almost gone, the day is near. Let's lay aside deeds of darkness, put on light as an armor. Then it says in verse 13, let us behave properly. Tell you never, behave. <laughs> behave, as you do this, I mean, a favorite teacher word at school, behave. <laughs> Let us use it. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing. Carousing, loud, debaucherous parties. Carousing. Drunkenness. Not in sexual promiscuity. Paul is writing to Roman Christians and he's talking about these things. He says, don't engage in these deeds of the flesh. And in sensuality. Right? Sensuality. Not in strife, that's relational tension, and in jealousy, the root of which is covetousness. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I like this. And make no provision. Everyone say provision for the flesh. In regard to its lust. You want, what I discovered working with, with sons of God, they want to overcome the flesh, but they're making provision for it. In your bid to overcome the flesh, what you must do is put on the nature of, of, of Christ. And then the Bible says, do not make any accommodation or provision for the flesh. This word in the, in the Greek is the follower, is is. is is pronia. They want to say pronia. And I like what it simply means. It means forethought or to plan. Right? Right there, put the word, I forgot to put this in, plan ahead or know ahead. I think it's in your notes somewhere perhaps. Well, yes, it is in the first line there. It, the root is pronia, which means to know ahead. Right? So, making provision for the flesh alludes to giving conscious forethought to the deliberate planning in one's mind for the engagement of some kind of carnal act or, or expression. 
Now, at other times, you, you, you hear the statement, I was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, then you must deal with it. But on other, other occasions, Paul writes into the Romans. And you know what Rome was like, the culture. Of sexual promiscuity, sensuality, carousing, drunkenness, uh, strife, jealousy, air brute. All that whole, con- he's writing to Christians living in that culture. And he says, escape the culture. How can you escape it? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not make any deliberate plans in your mind to engage in anything fleshly. Don't plan to go there. I'm amazed some people are actually not there by chance, in the wrong place at the wrong time. They're actually planning, deliberate. This is what we're going to do. The Lord says, deal with that. Don't give it no forethought. You want to overcome it, but you're making provision for it. So give it no accommodation in your life. Do not sow to the flesh. Galatians says, do not sow to the flesh, for of the flesh you will reap corruption. But sow to the the spirit. And of the spirit you will reap life eternal. Amen? So we're not going to make any provision for the flesh. We're going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to be involved in sexual promiscuity. We're going to be holy, blameless, acceptable to God. We're going to lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets us. I forgot to say this. I said it, but didn't amplify it. In Romans or Hebrews 12, it's the weight and sin that is not hard to trip. It easily trips. There's that thing that is not difficult. You know, the enemy knows my strengths and my weaknesses, right? Um... He knows that I can put Randolph in a room um, with 10 million rand that is not his and create every opportunity for him to steal with no um, possibility that it will ever be traced back to him in his lifetime. And I won't steal. He knows that is not the sin that easily trips me. He knows as far as theft is concerned, I will overcome any temptation in reference to that. But the writer of the book of Hebrews says, that sin, that one thing you know in your life that you must be militant about taking it and casting aside. Why? It's going to keep on tripping you up as you run this journey. Amen?